Well, it is good to be back with you all this morning. Um, let me go ahead and uh, let you know, because I know many of you are concerned, uh, I'm sleeping just fine. Um, for those of you who are visitors, uh, my wife uh, gave birth to our third child about a week and a half ago, uh, Kai Jude, a uh, nice and healthy baby boy, third baby boy. Um, and also, let me go ahead and, and, and tell you that we're done, okay? So don't ask if we're going to have a fourth um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I guess that's the Lord's call, but uh, I think we're done on that front. Um, it's always a time to slow down when you have a new child in the home. Uh, it always causes you to be grateful uh, for the goodness of the Lord uh, and having a healthy baby. Um, it's always a, a um, time of, of cohesion for the whole family, of coming together and celebrating a new life. But in the season that we're in here in, in, in the church right now, in, in, the, in the sermon series that we've been going through, for those of you who haven't been with us, going through the book of Amos. Uh, Amos, uh, a very bold prophet of God who speaks boldly about God's judgment. In the midst of that, it's caused me to reflect over the last week and a half over a particular attribute of God. And that would be God's mercy. Mercy is defined in the dictionary as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And so we speak of God being merciful because not only does he have the capacity to harm us, he has the right to do so. Because all of us have been disobedient, all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen. Uh, None of us are worthy of the kind of love and compassion that God shows to us through his son Jesus on the cross, yet he chose to do that, and he chooses to do that daily by extending himself through the Holy Spirit to each one of us. So that is merciful, even by the dictionary definition of the word. It's God showing compassion when not only does he have the power to punish us or to harm us, he has the right to do so. I deserve none of the good things which God has blessed me with in my life. I deserve, just as every other human being on this planet, judgment and death. But God mercifully gives and blesses nonetheless. So I can tell you with the pride, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, uh, the pride that comes along with having a new child in the home, having a full house, um, we were looking at reservations for Father's Day uh, yesterday, and, and uh, there's an app on my phone called Open Table. Maybe some of you know it. It's a way to reserve restaurants in the DFW area. And, and as I was looking, I had to change to table of five, and I thought, wow, look where we are. Look where we've come. Uh, now we've entered into a new restaurant category. Probably going to have to wait longer everywhere we go. But in all seriousness, the, the largeness of that is something that I never imagined as a young man that I've never imagined when I was sharing vows with my wife on our wedding day, that that just where we are right now and and what God has done. As in most moments in my life when something big happens, there is a tendency to get prideful and to think that's something that I've done. But very quickly behind that, there is a humility that comes with it. And knowing again that I don't deserve any of this. And so when I hold a a perfect, and again, maybe that's me being a little over-exaggerating, but when I hold a perfect little baby in my arms, 
with his two older brothers playing in the background and my beautiful wife being responsible for all of it, I am reminded of God's mercy. I'm reminded of how good he is and how bad he could be. But how none of this is anything that I'm owed or anything that I deserve, yet he decides to show himself to me in this way. Dads, moms, any of those of you who have served in our children's ministry, any of you who may not be moms or dads, but you have led people in any capacity, consider it a merciful blessing from God that you get to be involved in raising the next generation, that you get to hold and smell a newborn baby, that you get to do all of the things that God has called you to do. You are not worthy of that, but God has mercifully chosen to give you that task, that calling, and yea, that blessing. Sometimes God's mercy looks different. Sometimes God's mercy might not come with such joy, but might be evident in other ways. And so this morning, I want to talk about God's corrective mercy. I don't know if that's a term that anybody else uses. I may have stolen it from somebody else that I heard somewhere along the way. But when I think of corrective mercy, what I mean by that is when God causes or allows something difficult in our lives to bring us back into his plan and therefore avoid even greater difficulty. It's the kind of mercy that Amos is going to talk about in the passage we're going to read. Amos chapter 4 verses 6 through 13. It's the kind of mercy that maybe you've seen in your life before. When God allows a difficulty in your marriage so that you and your spouse will be forced to work together to uncover some hidden issues because if you didn't, that conflict would be even greater down the road. It's when God leads your work life or your career life down a season of difficulty that will make you change your path to get you out of a position that he didn't want you to be in and right where he wanted you to be in the end, in line with his will. See, even in Amos, one of the hardest books, in my opinion, to read in the Bible when it comes to God's justice, God's bold judgment against the sin of his people, even in Amos, God's mercy is visible. Amos is coming when it looks too late for Israel, and God is coming to judge them for their sins and disobedience. But God had, and Amos is reminding them in this passage, God had mercifully sent Israel one warning after another so that they would return to him, so that they could avoid the coming calamity that Amos is now telling them is on its way. God gave them chance after chance after chance, and like I said, Amos is going to remind him, remind them of that in this passage. Remind them of the truth that even in his judgment, God is merciful. Even in his judgment, God is merciful. Like I said, we're going to be in the book of Amos, chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. But before we read that passage, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. And God, we thank you for your mercies. That as Jeremiah put it, God, are new every morning. That we experience them even the day when we sing together and celebrate together. When we enjoy our health and our families that are around us. God, you are good beyond our ability to describe. And God, you certainly extend your mercy to us in being with us right now through your spirit. God, continue to do so. God, open our hearts and our minds so that we hear the merciful words that you are telling us this morning. 
God, remove distractions from us so that we may clearly hear those words. And God, through your spirit, implant those words into our lives in such a way that it brings about change, brings about transformation. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Amos chapter 4, starting in verse 6 and reading through the end of the chapter. Amos, speaking on behalf of God, says these words. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you where there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did, would, which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locust devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, Because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Again, Amos speaks of several calamities that had come upon Israel telling Israel that these were chances, these were opportunities to return to the Lord, opportunities that they shunned. He starts in verse 6 by saying that God had brought famine to Israel. Cleanness of teeth, that's a metaphor for famine. No food, if you're never eating, of course your teeth are going to get cleaner, hence the metaphor, no food was in the camp. Yet in spite of the famine, Israel did not return to the Lord. In verses 7 and 8, Amos talks about a severe drought that God allowed to come on the land. So severe even was its timing with this drought. Amos says that when there were yet three months to come for the harvest, for the farmer, this was the worst possible time for it not to rain. When the crops needed to be soaking up the rain and the nutrients within them, no rain was given, so certainly the crops would also fail. And not only that, but Amos wanted to point out that this was not just some weather circumstance, this was not just some phenomenon, but rather it was the hand of God. And he does so by saying it rained over here, but not over here. It rained in one city, but not in another. It rained on one field, but not on another. If it was just some general weather pattern, it would have been widespread. But since it was one place and not another, you could see the hand of God showing that he was withholding that rain. Two or three cities would wander to another city. Amos says. The Hebrew word behind that word wonder is a lot like stagger or stumble or trip. Imagine someone who was under the influence, the way that they would stagger from one place to another. The thirst was so intense that it was causing their faculties to fail. They would wonder from one place to another seeking water, yet there was none to be found. 
But in spite of the drought, Israel did not return to its Lord. God caused their crops to fail with blight and mildew. In verse 9, a sickness in the crop. Locusts devoured their figs and olive, their fig and olive trees. Yet again, in spite of the crop failure, Israel did not return. In verse 10, Amos speaks of plague and war, pestilence, likely some sort of plague similar to what God had done in Egypt. That causes us to pause for just a second. God is judging Israel just as he did Egypt. This ought to have been a sign for the people of Israel to how far they had fallen. Egypt, the great enemy of the Old Testament, they were being seen in the same light. The great enemy of the beginning of the Old Testament, of the book of Exodus. They were being seen and treated in the same light as this enemy Egypt had been. God's goal in plaguing Egypt was not to simply punish Egypt, but to cause Egypt to do his will and to let the Hebrew people go. Similarly, God is not punishing Israel because he desires to cause pain to his people, but because he desires to cause repentance for them to return. Yet, just like Egypt, their hearts were hardened and they did not hear what God had to say. Even in his judgment, God is merciful. But Israel refused to hear that mercy. God takes out Israel's young men and their homes with the sword of war. The death in Israel through both the plagues, the pestilence, and the war was so great that the stench of death was unavoidable. It said that your camp went up into your nostrils. It was so overpowering, so overcoming what was happening around them. Yet, none of them, or at least no large group of them, decided maybe we should return to the Lord. No, they kept down their path away from him. In spite of the plague and war, Israel did not return to the Lord. And then finally, he talks about a great disaster. A great disaster brought upon some of them that was similar to the disaster brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Whether through earthquake or some other natural cause or supernatural cause, God had destroyed cities so decisively that he used Sodom and Gomorrah as a comparison. And Israel, as a whole, briefly, or barely, I should say, made it out alive. The metaphor that Amos uses is a brand plucked from the burning. Israel survived, but they were singed. They came out smelling like smoke, you know, with the the edges of their garments still glowing uh, because they had just barely escaped the fire. They had made it out alive, but they did so barely. Again, this should have been a great cause to pause for Israel. This should have been a reminder to stop and take stock and and make sure that they were following after God, yet they did not do that. The great evangelist and founder of, of Methodism, John Wesley, referred to himself as a brand plucked from the burning. I would imagine that he borrowed it from this passage I don't know if many of you know the story of John Wesley, but he, he was a member of, of a large family. I think they had five kids. I could be wrong on that number, but I know that he was one of the youngest. And when he was five years old, his family home burned to the ground. 
And he tells the story, or the story is recounted, of, 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 of a sister of his waking up in the middle of the night with, with stuff falling on her bed from the, 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 the ceiling above her, a flame, woke up the whole house. The dad started getting everybody out. They got most of everybody out. They got the smallest children, one of John's younger siblings, out of a crib and ran. And the nanny or someone told John to follow her, and he didn't because he was too afraid. He stayed in the room. And so they all got out, and, and, and people remember John's dad deciding or assuming that his son was about to perish and praying for mercy, praying for God to show his mercy to young John Wesley. And and, and John recounts it, that he (coughs) remembers suddenly becoming aware of what was going on and looking for a way out, and finally he found a window. And and the window was so close to the ground that several men actually stood because they couldn't find a ladder. (coughs) Excuse me. They stood on each other's shoulders. And they brought this five-year-old boy out of the fire. And so he referred to himself, his mother actually started it, but he referred to himself throughout his ministry and especially toward the end of his life as a brand plucked from the burning. Now he meant it literally, that God, that someone actually rescued him from a fire, but he also meant it spiritually and metaphorically, that all of us are in this light. All of us should be seen in this light, that again, we all deserve death. We all deserve God's ultimate judgment. Yet God spares us from that if we accept and follow after and and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't make it by our own power. We don't make it by our own goodness, by the fact that we deserve it. No, we make it simply by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And without him, we would be left in the fire. And so the sacrifice of Jesus, we are plucked up out of the burning and God mercifully saves us. It's a great way to to see the gospel and and leave it to somebody like John Wesley to present it in that way. But of course, even he was borrowing from scripture, a brand plucked from the burning. But in spite of this narrow escape that should have caused Israel to do exactly what the Wesley family did, which was to turn to the Lord, In spite of this, Israel did not return. There's a couple questions that might come up at this point in the passage. One might be, especially in our day, why would God do this? It it seems mean to inflict pain just to teach a lesson. Let me ask parents in the room, why do you discipline your children? Are you not, whatever manner you use to discipline them, whether spanking or timeouts or anything else, are you not inflicting pain on them? Uh, Why do you do that? Because you enjoy it? I thought that when I was a kid. I thought that my parents somehow, that there was some weird thing in their head where they enjoy that. I never believed, and my dad gave it to me a couple of times, the whole, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you passage. I like, yeah, right, you bend over, right? That's what I was thinking in my head. There's no truth to that. But as a father, I know that to be the case. I know that when you're in a loving relationship with a child, that there is no joy in inflicting discipline. There is no joy in inflicting pain. But that's what we do as parents, because we love our children. And we want to lead them, to steer them away from greater pain down the road. Why do we call jails and prisons correctional facilities in our country? Now, We can get into a whole debate about whether or not our justice system is adequate or whether or not it does its job, but the intended job is to correct 
in most cases, other than people who were sentenced to life in prison or to death because they are a menace to society. Most people who go through the prison system are there in hopes that their behavior will be corrected. Again, we can debate whether or not that happens, but that's the hope right? That we allow people to be disciplined. We allow people to have pain inflicted upon them in hope that they will avoid greater pain down the road. (coughs) Let me assure you, both here in the book of Amos as well as in your life, when God allows you to go through pain, this does not bring God joy. This is not something he delights in. He is not, as many people in our day have tried to paint him to be, a kid with a magnifying glass burning up a bunch of little ants. That is not a picture of God that jives at all with the picture of Scripture. What we have in the picture of Scripture, the picture of God that we have in Scripture, (coughs) is a father who comes lovingly, trying to correct, trying to purify us. God is a refining fire. He is inflicting pain when necessary in order to bring about change, in order to avoid even greater pain down the road. The Father disciplines to lead us, to lead us down his path and away from greater pain. Even in his judgment, God is merciful. (coughs) So what might God be causing or allowing us to go through today as an urging to return to him. God has allowed, in his infinite wisdom, he has allowed the divisions of our culture to permeate our churches to the effect that we have, in much the same way that the world has, become divided against one another, whether it's along denominational lines, or even in small towns like ours where there have been church splits, it's not necessarily denominational lines. We might be in the same denomination, but we share a lot of members and we share a lot of history, so there's an easy way to sometimes harbor anger against one another and allow that division from the world to seep in to the way that we live in our Christian lives. I recently listened to a sermon by a guy named Tony Evans. Many of you know Tony. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Many of you know Tony, pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. A great communicator of God's word. I recently listened to a sermon of his that he delivered just this past Monday as a part of the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting. I wasn't there, but I listened to it online. And he talked about how God is allowing us to go through a season of passive judgment. And he articulated the difference between the active judgment of God in the books of Amos and the other prophetic material in the Old Testament, where God would actively work against his people and the more passive judgment that we see in our church era, where God is not actively punishing, but he is pulling himself back. He is, he is, as Romans, as Paul would say in Romans, he is giving us over to our own sinful desires. He is giving us over to the desires of our flesh. And we see that at work in the church, just as we do in the rest of the world. We see race divided against race. We see generation divided against generation. We see gender divided against gender. We see all of these things going on in both the world and the church. 
And God has allowed that division to enter the church. And I am, maybe I'm ignorant, maybe I'm way too hopeful, maybe I'm Pollyanna pie in the sky, but what I think might be happening is that God might be allowing us to go through this season so that we might be refined, so that we might be refocused on our ultimate goal, our ultimate message, which is to preach the gospel to a world in need of hearing that gospel. Amen? That perhaps God is allowing us to go through this pain so that this pain might refine us. And this pain might cause us to return to the Lord. Perhaps God is doing that in our day and in our church, but what about your own personal life? What, God, what might God be allowing in your life as an urging to return to him? Our church, our community. Let me follow that up. Will we return to the Lord? Because if we don't, we see what happens eventually in the book of Amos. Amos goes from reminding Israel of God's mercy and how many chances he gave them. How many times he warned them, essentially trying to get them to turn back to repent and follow him instead of their own selfish desires. Yet they spurned those attempts over and over and over again. So Amos says in verse 12, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. You don't want to return to him. He's coming for you, whether you like it or not. So get ready. And then Amos decides to remind the people who this God is. He's the one who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who declares to man our thoughts, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, which is the God of angel armies. This is his name, says Amos. This is the God that you've ignored. This is the God who loved you enough to give you chance after chance after chance. But now, Israel, it's too late. You've tested him far too often, and now he is coming in judgment. You know, this was God's plan all along, or this was his, his method all along. When I say plan, I don't mean necessarily Israel turning away, but I mean his way of bringing Israel back. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, the word says this. And, 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 and just to give you a little context God is, is talking right before this passage about spreading Israel, about sending them out of their land, spreading them uh, apart from one another and leaving them in that state of judgment. And he says this starting in verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. This was God's plan. That when you turn away, tribulation will come and that will be the reminder to come home. To come back I don't know if any of you have ever been in a season of rebellion against your parents. I think all of us experience that to some degree, some varying degrees, some a little bit of rebellion, some a lot of rebellion, whatever that might have looked like in your life. Go back to that time. 
And think about that moment that you finally became aware, hey, mom and dad might have known what they were talking about. Maybe they were on to something and the correction and the guidance that they were giving me, and I missed it. I just want to come back. I'm reminded of the prodigal son when he finally falls to the very bottom and he is feeding pigs in a trough and he is wishing that he could eat their food and he wants to go back home not to be his father's son but just to be his servant. He longs to be back and he just wants to go home. When God allows us to go through difficulty, sometimes it is for that reason so that we will be reminded of what we have stepped away from so that we will be reminded of just where we get ourselves when we go out on our own. Israel had been invited to return over and over again, yet they decided not to. And so God judged them. And when I say God judged them, even that is an understatement. Those of you who know the story of Israel, you know what happened. You know that a foreign power came and decimated them, led them out of their promised land, away from their home, and in many ways, away from their God. That was by their own choosing, but that's what happened. But Deuteronomy tells us a truth about God, a truth that remained even while the Israelites and eventually those in Judah as well were in captivity, that God will not leave you. God will not forget the promises that he has made to always be with us. Even God's judgment is an act of mercy. And as long as you are breathing and on this side of eternity, it is never too late to return to him. God uses pain to help us avoid even greater pain or even complete destruction. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his famous book, The Problem of Pain. We can't ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So when we feel pain, stop and listen. And let me give you a quick disclaimer, if you will. I'm not saying that any pain in your life is the judgment of God. I'm not saying that at all. Nor am I saying that the pain in somebody else's life is God's judgment upon them. What I will absolutely say is that it's none of your business to decide whether their pain is God's judgment or not. That's between them and God. But what I am encouraging you to do is that when you're in pain, whether that's God's judgment or not, I have a good idea that returning to the Lord is a good idea. That going and clinging to God in the midst of your pain, whether it's something that ease caused or whether it's just the fact of living in a fallen world, whether that sickness is just because you were around somebody else who was sick or it's God trying to show you something, either way, let it be an impetus for you to return to the Lord, for you to cling to him, for you to beg for his mercy and for him to restore you once again, to restore you in his method, in his way, according to his plan and not your own. I'm not saying that the difficulty in your marriage or the conflict at your workplace is God's judgment upon you. What I am saying is if there is difficulty in your marriage or conflict in your workplace, cling to the Lord, return to him, return to your first love. And I would say that to us as a church, and I mean the church in our world today, 
when we see failing numbers, when we see people walking away from not just our faith, but faith completely and going to a faithless life, when we see people walking away from the church and the numbers of baptism in our denomination and the numbers of attendance in our denomination falling every single year, let us not think, oh yeah, that's God absolutely judging us, but may that be in our mind and let it remind us, let it cause us to go to God, to return to him, to worship him in spirit and in truth to remind ourselves that he is our first love. He is the reason why we exist and we ought to give everything we have to this God who was merciful enough to save our wretched souls and to make us a part of his plan to save the rest of the wretched souls in this planet. Let it remind us to do that. Because even if you are being judged by God, guess what? He's doing that because he loves you. He's doing that because he wants you to come back to him. I cannot, this past week and a half, I cannot get over how much God loves me. I cannot put into words the way that I have felt his love in my family, in my home. I cannot get over what he has done. And I cannot help be reminded of the times in my life where I have faced difficulty, where I've seen conflict in my life in my relationships or in churches that I have led and be reminded that even then God was loving me just as powerfully as he is while I'm holding a newborn child. If God is doing it, it is done in love, even if it's judgment, because God's mercy is infinite. Think of all the blessings in your life. Think of all the times that God has steered you away from spiraling out of control. God's mercy is infinite. You cannot exhaust it. But our opportunity to receive that mercy has an expiration date. Eventually enough is enough. We all run out of chances. This stops beating and our time of judgment comes. And we don't know when that moment is coming. Not for our individual selves, not for our nation, not for the church. Let it not be said of us. Let it not be said of the people of First Baptist Church Grandview. Let it not be said of the Christian generation in America in 2018. Let it not be said of you. This and this happened. God allowed them to go through these difficulties, yet... They did not return to the Lord. Let that not be said of us. Let it be said of us that when we encountered difficulty, we repented and returned to the Lord. When God disciplined us, we heard that discipline and responded and returned to him. I know what many of you think about the nature of our world today. And you believe that the Bible says things are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And yes, it does indeed seem to say that. Why does that have to be today? Since when does any place in the Bible tell us we should just throw up our hands and say, God, come get us. I'm done. You know, I'm I'm tapping out. You know, let's get out of here. Everybody else can, well, you know where they can go. I just went out. When is that ever the approach of Scripture? 
How did Jesus tell us to pray? Let your will be done. Where? On earth. Here. In this corrupt place. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we still be a people who do that. May we still be a people who turn and return to God. Even in his judgment, God is merciful. May we return to the Lord. Again, maybe it's not God's judging, but it's always safe to return, to cling to the God who saved you and to the God who is sanctifying you even today. During our time of invitation this morning, may I encourage anyone here who does not have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, today's a good day. I can tell you what that means for you, what that looks like. I can tell you about how much God loves you and that he sent his son Jesus for you and that he wants to have a relationship with you both now and for eternity. And if you want to know what that looks like, I would love to talk to you during our time of invitation or if you would rather come talk to me after the service, I'll be hanging out and come talk to me then. And for everyone here who has a saving relationship with the Lord, may it not be said of us, yet they did not return to the Lord May it be said that we heard, we repented, and we followed and clung to the one true God. May that be what we are known for. And perhaps now is the time for you to do just that, to return to the God who gives you chance after chance, mercy after mercy, because he loves you. Be with God in these moments. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation, and you move in whatever way God is calling you to. The altar is open. I'm down here to pray for whatever. Father, again, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for today. God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, may you call them to you this morning. And God, for all your children gathered here, God, may you show us where you're moving in our lives and the ways that you're calling us to return. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.